Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to Romans 5 this morning? Romans chapter 5. I love that video. It's all about him because we desire that people all around the world know that it's all about Jesus Christ. That's our heart for missions. Uh, What a wonderful privilege to have some of our missionaries do that for us. If you're here today, and my guess is one of the questions you might be asking yourself is, okay, so it's all about him Sunday. Bethel believes it's all about Jesus Christ. What does that mean for me personally? What should I walk away from this service doing because of that? What are the personal outworkings of it's all about him? And that's what we want to look at this morning because one of the beautiful things about the book of Romans is that the book of Romans doesn't just tell us how on the macro level, how God is making things right with the world through Jesus Christ. It certainly does that. But it also gets really personal. It helps us understand what does this mean for me personally if it's all about Christ, which we see all throughout Romans, if it's all about God making things right in my life and reorienting my life, changing me, what does that mean personally? We've been walking through the book of Romans and we have seen Paul give us some very, very deep, beautiful theological truths. And and if I can just kind of sum up one, two, three, and four so far, the chapters. Chapter one, Gentiles are guilty and under God's wrath. And Paul builds that whole case. He does that very well. In chapter two, Jews are guilty and under God's wrath. So pretty much all people are guilty and under God's wrath. Chapter three, we can be right with God. So while we are guilty and while we are under God's wrath, there is a solution. We can be right with God in Jesus Christ. And Paul helps us understand this concept of justification. To be justified is to have God look at me and declare me righteous. To say, not guilty. Why? Not because of my keeping the law, Paul says, but because of Jesus Christ. Because of our placing our faith and trust in him, in Jesus. That's chapter 3. And then chapter 4. Even Abraham, that great hero of the faith that one that all Israel looks up to and we look up to as well, even he was justified or saved by faith. So here's where we've come so far, and I hope that you have enjoyed this deep theology. There's plenty more to come, all right? But our goal isn't just for you to walk out of here going, all right, I got my theology down, I know what salvation is, I know what justification is, I know what propitiation is, I'm good to go. No, what we actually want for you is for this book to become incredibly personal. For you to say, this is my story. This is describing my experience, what God has done in my heart, in my life. And what I really want for you and for myself is for us to be filled with an awe and a wonder that God would love me. That God would take me, a sinner, and I know how many times I've lived for myself instead of for God, and he would take me and he would justify me. And he wouldn't just justify me, but he would flow to me all the blessings of salvation, which is what we're going to see this morning. It's a deeply personal book. And as we read the first couple verses of chapter 5, I want you to notice that Paul turns a little bit of a corner here. And Paul starts to use a lot of first-person plural pronouns. He says, we, and our, and he's going to do this for several chapters What Paul is doing is he's putting himself in the same boat of the Romans and us and saying, hey, we're all in this. 
This salvation that we're talking about, this justification, this applies to us. And here's how it works itself out in our life. So there's more of a pastoral tone now as we enter chapter 5. And don't forget, this is a letter that Paul is writing. He's not writing a systematic theology book for seminaries, although it's a good one for that. He's writing a letter. It's a personal letter to believers, and it's written to us. And so as we enter this text, I want you to consider the personal nature of these deeply theological truths. So we're going to spend our time looking at the incredible benefits that flow from justification, from this being made right with God. But before we jump into that, I want you to notice verse 1, this phrase. It's a very important phrase. Let's read the whole verse here. Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's get to the phrase through our Lord Jesus Christ in just a moment, but let me first notice therefore. So you may have heard this, maybe you haven't, but whenever you see the word therefore in scriptures, usually in an epistle and in a letter, you want to see what it's there for, right? What is the therefore, therefore? In other words, the word therefore means that there's something that comes before this that we're supposed to understand. There's something that this is building on, and I just kind of sketched out for you chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. So we come into this text, one of the, the, the greatest therefores in the Word of God, right here, Romans 5, 1. Therefore, since all of this stuff is true, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God, notice this phrase, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we'll read verse 2 in a second, but it starts with through Him. Through Jesus, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything we're going to see this morning is only possible because of Jesus Christ. It's all about Him. Faith is a big theme in, in chapter 4, and it continues to be a big theme in chapter 5. But I want you to, to notice that, it, you know, in case we are going to start putting too much emphasis on my faith, right, the part that we play here in trusting in Jesus Christ, we're quickly snapped back to reality. Oh, yes, that's right, it's about Jesus. It's all through him, even my faith, my standing with God, all these blessings that are coming to us, all through Jesus Christ. He is the pipeline. He is the channel. He is the conduit that all these blessings we're going to read about in the next couple of chapters, they come, they come to us through Christ. Maybe this would be an illustration that would help you. Think about a well. I don't know how many of you have wells at your house. Uh, we live in a house uh, and we have a well and this is the first time we've ever had a well. In fact, there are two wells that provide water to this building that we're in right now. And I think it's neat that a well, you know, that if you have a well, all the water that you need is below you in the ground. You're not paying the city to provide water to you. No, God's already put it there, and now you're accessing it. But the only way you can access that water in the well is if you have the pumps and the pipeline coming into the house. And if you have none of that, the water still sits there. You can't access it. You can't. Uh, reap the benefits of that water. And so in this text here, what we're seeing is that that's what Christ is for us. He's that pipeline. Through Jesus Christ come all the blessings to us. Without Jesus Christ, none of the blessings come to us. Now, God's nature doesn't change. God is still perfect. God is beautiful. And there are these riches, but we don't access them. And so this scripture this morning is written about those who are believers, who have these truths, who have trusted in Jesus Christ, who have that pipeline, that connection to the Father, that way that all salvation flows to them. 
And I'm going to preach it that way, but I want you to consider that if, if that not be the case for you, if you've never put your faith and trust in Christ, then there's no connection, there's no access that you have to the Father. So these things that we're going to see are not true yet. Our prayer would be that today that, that would be taken care of. The best way to describe this concept of Christ being the me- uh, of the pipeline is the word mediator because that's what Scripture says Christ is, right? A mediator. He goes between God and us. And between God and us, he provides this, this access and this way of receiving from the Father all the things that God has for us. In Romans 5 through 8, we're going to see that again and again. Through Jesus Christ, you'll notice it if you kind of glance through your Bible. I want you to let you know this morning that without a mediator, we are in big trouble. We're in big trouble. We're in big trouble, bigger trouble than if there, that all the wells dried up and we had no access to, to water in the entire world. Because without Jesus Christ, there is no way to receive justification. There is no way to receive what we're going to talk about this morning. So again, I, I ask you to pause and consider, is that true for me? And if I do have Christ, I need to realize how pivotal that is, how important that is, that without Him, none of this stuff happens. You could say the big idea this morning is this. Every part of our life is provided for by Jesus. And that's not up on the screen, but if you're taking notes, you might want to jot that down. Every part of our life, every part, is provided for by Jesus. Without him, it doesn't happen. So first this morning, in Christ, our past is dealt with. Our past. Everything that's happened. So think about your past. All the times that you've lived for yourself that you've made decisions that didn't honor God, all your past, it's dealt with. And the text says here, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. We have been justified, it says. It it, it flies in the face of those that teach, and some churches teach this, that throughout our life, we are progressively being justified. But no, the scripture says here, we have been justified justified it's already happened and the moment that we're justified our past is dealt with it's done it no longer will be held against us it won't be thrown in our face it's taken care of the great judge has declared you and I if we're in Christ not guilty there is no double jeopardy we're not going to be brought back before the judge and retried because God has already done this he has already said you are innocent Now, this is a pretty big deal when you consider chapters 1 through 4 and all that we've seen so far. So let me walk through some of those truths. Because when Paul says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, he wants us to remember all of this. And I briefly summed it up. But consider in Romans 1 how it says that every single human being, everyone in this room, everyone not in this room, we all live in this, this beautiful world And we see creation and we see the amazing wonder around us from the shark in the ocean to the hummingbird to the flower to to all of this, to the weeds. Oh, that's not very beautiful. But to all the things in the universe, there is so much to be in wonder about. All of that. We see that as human beings. And we think to ourselves, there must be a designer. There's got to be a God somewhere. But what Romans 1 says is we push that truth down. And just as the truth starts to kind of well up, we say, no, no, I don't want to think about that. And we decide instead to live for ourselves, not for this God. And Romans 1 says that we worship all kinds of things, chiefly ourselves. We do what we want to do. 
We care most about ourselves. But we, we spend our, we, we give our affections and we spend our money and we, and we, all in an attempt to worship something because we've traded the truth for a lie, Romans 1 says. We've used our minds and our bodies in a way that does not honor this creator God. Chapters two through three, some of us have attempted to live a moral life. We've said, well, if there's a God, I, I guess I'll try to be a good person. And in being a good person, I hope that one day when I stand before him, he's going to weigh out my life and I'm going to be okay. I'll go to heaven because I'm a pretty good person. Except that Romans 3 says, by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. By keeping the law, by trying to follow the Ten Commandments, the whole law, by trying to, to live my life in a moral way, no human being will be justified. It's completely impossible, Paul says. He says, if you're relying on the law to be a ladder for you to get to heaven, take a good look at that ladder because when you try to use the law as a ladder, it's flimsy. It has like a couple rungs and it, it, it's a long way from heaven. You're not going to get there. It just can't happen. So those of us who've been trying to live a moral life, be good people, we realize we can't even be justified in that way. Nobody, no human being will be made right by the law. And this is all a problem because God is a just judge. He will judge sin. The scriptures say he is holy. He cannot even look upon evil. And so we should fear this a bit. We should say, wow, okay. And then we get to Romans 3.21 and it says this beautiful verse. It says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. The righteousness of God, the ability to be right with God is it appears it's manifested apart from the law. If we're not righteous, we can't look within ourselves for salvation. All we're going to be able to do is look outside of ourselves, look at something apart from keeping the law. And so the book says that that's Jesus Christ, that his righteousness can be given to us, that we can be pardoned because of Jesus and what he has done, not because of what we've done. So Jesus is hanging on that cross and all of our sins placed upon him. And his righteousness given to us, the Bible calls that imputation. It's imputed to us. Again, think of that pipeline. Jesus Christ bringing the blessings of salvation to us. But it's not our righteousness. It's Christ's righteousness. That's how we can be right with God. Chapter 3, verse 22. And once this happens, all of our past sins, all, all the past, it's all dealt with. It's done. Our record is expunged. We have a clean slate. I mean, consider that this morning, that all the times that you've dishonored God, the thoughts that you've had, the actions that you've done, once you're justified, they're dealt with. They're done. You can come in here this morning, you can sing to this God without fear of retribution because you know that it's taken care of. And because of this, Romans 5.1, look at it, says, we have peace with God. So in Christ, our present is provided for. Our past is dealt with, our present is provided for. We right now, we have peace with God. And I want you to look very carefully at the words that are used. It doesn't say peace of God. It could, but it doesn't. It says peace with God. So this is not primarily a peaceful, easy feeling that I have. I feel good. Although I'd say that when I 
am forgiven by Christ, when I have been declared righteous, I do have good feelings, generally speaking. But feelings come and, and feelings can go. No, this says peace with God. Paul is intentionally highlighting relational peace between this God and myself. Between us, there is peace. That I am right with this God. There's a closeness. There's an openness. There's an intimacy between this God of the universe and me. And this can only happen when our sins are dealt with. If our sins aren't dealt with, if our past isn't taken care of, then we can't be right with God. We cannot have peace with God. Now, maybe you walked in here this morning and you're not too familiar with the things that I'm talking about, or, or maybe you didn't even realize you needed peace with God. You haven't thought much about that. I think that most people don't spend a ton of time considering whether they have peace with God. They, they, they think a lot about peace. I think every human thinks about peace. I know that because of the many, many songs that have been written on, about peace. You know, we talk about peace all the time. I think just through some of the famous songs. John Lennon wanted us to imagine peace and give peace a chance and have peace across the universe. And the Beatles always talked about peace, okay? Bob Marley just wanted us to all get together and feel all right. And we know what Bob meant by that, I think. Louis Armstrong, he, he, in his song, he says, just think to yourself. Imagine what a wonderful world. I mean, people are always thinking about peace, we care about peace, but I, I would venture to say that most of the time we're thinking relationally between us and other humans. We just want peace in the world, N enough of the fighting. If we could all get along, if we could all enjoy peace, but many people don't spend much time thinking about, do I need peace with God? Are things okay between me and God? I think in our more cerebral moments, maybe in you know, near-death experiences we think about that, but people go throughout this world and they don't much think about this, but they want peace. So if you came in here this morning and you're stressed out and you're frazzled and at the end of your rope, I want you to listen up because this is how you get real peace. This is true peace. In Romans 1, Paul gets right to the point. He doesn't beat around the bush and he says this. He says, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The wrath of God is against all the unrighteousness that's out there. And then the book says that we all have that. So you're starting to understand why we need this peace because there's a really big problem if the God of the universe has wrath towards me. Most people today have been duped by the spirit of the age. And that tells us this, that God is all love. And all of us are God's children, so why can't we just get along? But that is not the true God of the Bible. That is a caricature of God. It's actually idolatry. And it's really a lie that, that damns people to hell, to think that, oh, God, he, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't be angry with me. I mean, we're all his children. We're all, he's love. The scripture says, though, that in our natural state, apart from Christ, we're actually enemies of God. Enemies. Now, that's hard to wrap our minds around. R.C. Sproul says this, when God looks at our idolatry, he is not at peace. He is at war with us. Now, the wrath of God is not something our modern society considers much. I think a lot of societies think about God's anger or the anger of the gods. You think about all the animistic societies that, that worship many gods. And I think of the Greco-Roman culture where they talked a lot about the gods. 
Or you have tribal societies today. They, they literally live each day worried, did I, did I tick off the gods? Am I okay? We don't have rain. We must have made the gods angry. And that's how they live. But for us, we're too industrialized for our own good. Perhaps we're too sophisticated or too distracted. And I think one of the things that we would do well to do is go outside on a clear night and just look up at the stars. Look at how many you see and consider that every star that you see, every planet that you can't see with the naked eye but with the most powerful telescope, all of that is part of the Milky Way galaxy. And that Milky Way galaxy, according to scientists, I don't know how to verify this, is part of, it's one of 50 billion galaxies, okay? So the galaxy that we explore with our telescopes and all of that and the spaceships is only one of 50 billion galaxies? And all of this that we see and can't see was all created by God when he spoke. He spoke and it existed. So this God who made all of this, who is that powerful, he is the all-powerful being that we are at war with. He is the one that we're messing with. He's, Scripture says, our enemy. So if you thought that the infinity war with Thanos was scary, think again. All right, this is a powerful God, and the Bible says that we are his enemies apart from Christ. Do we need peace with God? You better believe we need peace with God. So before we submit to Christ, that's where we are. We're at war with him. And the only way to get peace is to lose the war. To say, God, okay, you're God and I'm not. I guess I can't live for myself after all. I need to live for you and for your glory. It's about, all about Jesus Christ. And we surrender. We, we wave the white flag. And actually in surrendering and in losing, we win. Because what we find is that when we submit to this great, amazing God, we gain peace with him. Now, there is nothing between us. We don't have to fear. So I ask you, do you have relational peace with God? I'm not asking if you feel peaceful this morning. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Maybe you just got a new car or your life is going okay and works good and all of that. I'm not talking do you feel peaceful. Do you have peace with God, relational peace? And if you don't, please don't let today go by without speaking to one of us and saying, I want to make sure I have peace with God, that I have been justified. Christians, I want to remind you that you were an enemy of God and you are his friend. You're a friend of God. That God took you and even while you were an enemy, Christ died for you. And he didn't leave you just as an enemy. He made you a friend. He made you a son or a daughter. Now, I want to take a little bit of time and explain how this relational peace with God is connected to justification. Because Paul says, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. So how are these two connected? And I want to do that because for me it's very helpful to understand this. And I, I pray that it would be helpful for you as well. Here's how it's connected. The judge who pardons us, that's justification, right? That judge is the very one that we've offended and the very one that we need to be brought back into relationship with. That's reconciliation, making peace with God. So it's a little different than a normal uh, trial. If, if, you know, if, if, a, if a person is declared innocent by a judge, 
the jury says that's the decision and the judge declares them innocent. There's not usually this intimate relationship that begins with the judge. The judge and the defendant do not go on to know each other and talk to each other and have a relationship. But imagine for a moment that you are standing in court before a judge and you've been accused of uh, attempted murder. The thing is, the judge is the most powerful recognized judge in the nation, but he's also your father. And not only that, he's the one you attempted to murder. Can you imagine as that judge looks at you and as he says, not guilty, but in his eyes there's forgiveness and there's compassion and there's love. And then after you step out of of the courtroom, he puts his arms around you, embraces you, and hugs you and loves you. So that's how justification is connected to reconciliation, being right with God, the relationship being restored. Because the judge is the one we offended and the judge is the one who we're restored to and who is our friend. Now, some of us have to meditate on that this morning. I know that because I have to meditate on this this morning. Here's what happens with me. Sometimes I only think of God as the just judge who declared me innocent. And then he kind of dismissed me from his court, you know? So I think of God as this strong, holy, righteous God, and I'm thankful for the forgiveness I've just received, the justification I've received, but I forget about the reconciliation piece. I forget about the fact that this judge is also my friend, and he wants to talk to me. He desires for me to pray to him, to read his word, to know him, to have an intimate relationship with him. I think part of that's my upbringing. I was raised in a very strict kind of fundamentalist, legalistic home. And so I think of God as that judge. But brother and sister, if that's how you primarily think of God, you need to go further. You need to understand that this God who has justified you has also given you peace. He's brought you into a relationship with himself. This is a beautiful truth. This is something that we should go out of this building just rejoicing about, that I can know this God, that not only am I safe and I'm innocent, but man, he's my friend. James Montgomery Boyce said this, before we were standing without as children of wrath. Now we're standing within, not as enemies or even as pardoned criminals, but as sons and daughters of Almighty God. And all of this because Jesus is our peace treaty. Jesus is the one, by his death, he he made atonement for our sins. Our sins are covered because of Christ. He stood in my place He actually died, not for his own sins, as John prayed, for my sins. And so his perfection given to me, that pipeline, my sin put upon him. He's the peace treaty. He's the substitute. So what else has Christ done for us? Well, let's read Romans 5, 2 as well, because this passage just continues to give us beautiful blessings here. Verse 2 of Romans 5. Read it with me. Through him, that's through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We have this access through Jesus, and that word access literally means introduction. So it's the kind of word that would be used if you were introduced to a person who was important, to a king. You're, you're being introduced. That's access, access to somebody famous. Now, it's not easy for us to get access to famous people, right? If you're at a Bears game, even a preseason Bears game, you can't just uh, meet Mitch Trubisky by going on the field and giving him a high five. You'll probably be tackled before you get there. You can't do that. You can't just 
have a relationship with somebody famous like that. If you want to schedule coffee with the president of the United States, good luck. It's not going to happen. <laughs> if you send an Instagram direct message to your favorite celebrity, you know that chances are they're never even going to read it because they've hired people that take care of their social media accounts and they filter everything and they go, Mark Colton, who's that? Whatever. They'll never read it. They'll never respond to you. There are a few exceptions to that, but I'm telling you, if you're waiting for Taylor Swift to respond to your song suggestion, it's probably not going to happen, okay? Because we can't just, just have access to famous people. It doesn't work that way. They have purposefully put layers in place and obstacles so that they're not bombarded by all these people. But if we have somebody that knows that person well and we know them, they may be able to introduce us. So that's the, the idea of an introduction. Jesus Christ is that for us. He, of course, knows the Father. He is loved by the Father. And because we are in Christ and Christ is in us, He introduces us to the Father. We have access to the Father through Jesus Christ. Christ gives us access to God like we would be introduced to a king. Now, from the very beginning, if you go all the way back to the beginning, it's always been about access to God. It's always been about walking with God. Think about the garden and Adam and Eve, and they walk with the Lord. And then sin enters the picture, and sin breaks that fellowship. And all of a sudden, now they can't walk with God. They can't have access to God like they did. That's not to say that God didn't speak with them, but it wasn't the same. It wasn't that intimacy. They're not even allowed back in the garden anymore. They're, they're banned from it. And all throughout Israel's history, there's the tabernacle where the, the people worship, and then there's the temple. And remember, there's a holy of holies where God's presence resides. And there's that curtain that separates the human beings from God's intimacy. But of course we know that Jesus Christ, when he died on that cross, cross what happened to that, that curtain? It was torn. It was destroyed because now we have access to the Father again. We have this undisturbed ability to be able to go to the Father whenever we want. Why? Because of Jesus Christ. He's introduced us. He's our passport to the Father. Now, when our text speaks of obtaining access, it most certainly talks about access to the Father. But interesting how it's worded here by Paul. It talks about grace, doesn't it? It says, we've obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. What is that? It seems that Paul is saying there's a realm that we are in. We are in this realm of grace. We've entered into it through Christ, and we stand in this realm of grace. It's all around us. It's something we live in. We live and breathe grace. No matter what happens in this life, whether trials or temptations, and that'll be next week's sermon, we still stand in grace. We'll never not be in grace. We'll always be in this almost a dimension that we step into now as Christians. We are in grace. We're not under the law. We're under grace. And if it wasn't for this realm of grace, we couldn't have access to the Father. Because think about it. You still sin. I still sin. But because of this grace that we stand in, because of the fact that it neutralizes our sins and removes our sins, we actually have the ability to talk to the Father, to walk with Him to have a relationship with him, to come in here today and to sing these songs. And I hope that you sing with all of your heart knowing that I don't deserve to worship you, God. I don't deserve these truths I'm singing about. But Jesus is why I can. There is this grace that I'm in. 
And I want you to notice that we stand in it. We stand in grace. That's our posture. And it's this, it's this uh, perfect tense of an ongoing position. I stand in grace. Because we stand in grace, we don't have to live in terror. Like, are my sins going to be brought back up again? Am I going to make it? You know, God, I've let you down a lot now as a Christian. Maybe you just want to be done with me. No, we stand in grace. We're not lying flat on the ground. We're standing. But I imagine that somebody in here probably walked in not feeling like you're standing. You crawled in or you like army crawled in here. It's like, I just got to get to church. I'm not doing very well. But I want you to consider this theological truth. You may not feel this way, but if you're in Christ, you stand in grace. Now, you don't stand of your own power. You stand because of Christ's power. But what a, what a powerful truth to know that right now, this moment, I stand in grace. Tomorrow, even if it's a bad day, I stand in grace. Whatever you're going through, frustrated with your children, if you have children, that's probably true, and also in love with your children, uh, your job, frustrated with your job, having a difficulty, health struggles, losing ones we love, all of this, we still stand in grace. It's never going to change. We are in this realm. And I hope that encourages you. I want you to hear Spurgeon's words this morning, which kind of speak about this. Whatever foes may be before the Christian, they are all overcome. There are lions, but their teeth are broken. There are serpents, but their fangs are extracted. There are rivers, but they are bridged or fordable. There are flames, but we wear that matchless garment which renders us invulnerable to fire. The sword that has been forged against us is already blunted. The instruments of war which the enemy is preparing have already lost their point. God has taken away in the person of Christ all the power that anything can have or hurt us. We are in this realm of grace. I think I've probably been watching too many Marvel movies lately, but it's almost like a force field, okay? It's like this idea of God is protecting us. Yes, life is difficult. Yes, there is pain. There is danger. There is suffering. But ultimately, the sting of death is removed. Ultimately, Satan can do nothing against me unless God allows it. That brings us to the last point here. In Christ, our future is guaranteed. So our past is dealt with, praise the Lord. Our presence provided for, we're in grace, and our future is guaranteed. Look at verse 2 again. What is our future? It says this, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, notice this, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What is this glory of God that Paul writes about? It's a little hard to know. We, we, we have to study through the book and say, what, how is the word glory used by Paul? What, what does he mean by that? And it seems to be that the idea of glory is the restoration of what is lost at the fall. It's the opposite of Romans 3.23, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Oh, human beings were glorious, Adam and Eve in the garden before sin, humanity as it was designed to be, but all that changed with sin. And so all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Paul is saying there is a day coming when that restoration is complete, a new garden where, where, where we are restored, where we are actually whole. We will share in God's glory. Chapter 8 of Romans, verse 17 and 30, it says we will share in the glory of God. 
That's our future. That is our hope. That is what everything is heading towards. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. These are beautiful truths. We already know our future. Now, we don't know exactly what our future is going to be like. But this scripture says we know enough. We know enough to rejoice. We know enough to to, to jump up and down and praise Jesus Christ because we're going to be like Christ. So I don't know exactly what that's going to be, but I know it's going to be beautiful. I know it's it's going to be what God intended humanity to be. See, that is the guaranteed future for the believer. Romans 8.21 even says that all the earth and all of creation will be glorious once again. So I just mentioned weeds a little bit. There are no weeds. There there are no thorns. There, There are nothing about creation that is broken, that is messed up, will be there because it will be a perfect creation, a new heaven and a new earth. And this is the future. But the future has already begun. Consider 2 Corinthians 3. And we all with unveiled face... Beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So one day I'm going to be truly glorious. But God says that process has already begun now. From glory to glory. As God works in my heart. As I relinquish sin. As I submit to the Lordship of Christ. And I have enough of these Sundays and enough enough reminding myself that it's all about Christ that I start to live more for Christ and to look more like Christ. So praise the Lord, it's not just a future and it's not just a fiction, this is true. God is doing this in the believer. Charles Wesley wrote these words to a hymn of his called Love Divine, All Love's Excelling. He said this, Finish then thy new creation, pure and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation perfectly restored in thee. Changed from glory into glory, till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love, and praise. Brother and sister in Christ, do you long for that day when you will be made whole? When you will be perfect? I bet you the older you are in here, the more you long for it. Because as you live through this life, you start to say, oh, I just want to be with Christ. I just want to have this life be as it should be. You'd think that through life you'd find more and more satisfaction, but what you realize is that until I am with God in heaven, I'm never going to be fully satisfied. Do you long for that day? No more pain, no more tears, no more any of that, no more struggle with sin. This will be complete peace. This will be ultimate peace and perfected peace. I would say that that's the kind of peace that Paul has in his mind when he uses the word peace. Paul isn't thinking as much in a Pax Romana, Roman version of peace, where they take it by force. He's more thinking about the Old Testament shalom of peace. I mean, Paul's a Jew after all, and that's a very important word to them. The peace that means wholeness, a restoration of everything that was lost. Now that consummation is yet to be revealed, but don't forget right now, where we are, we stand in grace. We walk in grace. We already enjoy a foretaste of that. And this future glory that we're going to have, that we're, we're going to look around and see glorious creatures. But we're not going to look around and go, wow, 
Pastor Mark, you're really glorious. Or we're not going to look at each other and compliment each other because all that glory is going to point to Jesus. We'd be like, wow, Jesus is glorious. That he could do that with us? That he would make us glorious? It's all going to serve to focus on Jesus Christ because it is all about him. I usually think of this future so far off. I mean, especially when I was even younger. I mean, just crossed the 40 threshold, so getting a little more sober-minded. But you know, we don't know when this future comes. We don't know how long it is before Christ comes back. I don't know. I don't know how long I have on this earth. The truth of the matter is, is that nothing is guaranteed. And we got to stop thinking about the future as so far off and realize that it could be very soon. Do we have peace with God relationally? Do you know God? Have you been justified by faith? No matter when that day comes, we have confidence, and you, believer, have confidence that you will be okay with God. You'll be right with God because of Christ, because of the fact that we stand right now in grace. I hope that gives you incredible hope this morning, that you're able to walk out of this this church with this hope that, you know what, no matter what, I have peace with God. No matter what, I stand right now in grace. No matter what, I have hope, a glorious hope of the future. Verse 2 actually uses the word rejoice. And you'll see in, if you have an ESV, several times this word's used. Verse 3 as well, also down in verse 11, we rejoice. Most of the time, though, this word is translated boast. We boast about the future. We boast about Christ. You know, there's, there's good boasting and, and bad boasting. We've all been around people who are boasters, right? You ever been around somebody and they like to name drop? Yeah, I was... Uh, you know, having coffee with my friend the other day, and they say their name, and you're like, oh, I guess I'm supposed to be impressed, right? Or this is even worse, and I have to say I've been guilty of this. You're boasting about knowing somebody who knows somebody famous, right? Oh, yeah, my friend went to school with that person. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's, there's bad boasting and there's good boasting, but the scriptures actually say, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. You know it's okay to name drop Jesus, It's okay to say, I know Jesus. I actually know God. I have a relationship with God through Jesus. And we're going to give you a chance in a moment to to boast in Jesus, to sing to Jesus, because it's it's good to tell people you have a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Paul is saying, boast in this. Boast in the glory to come. Boast in the fact that Jesus has made a way to the Father and he has taken care of our, our eternity. Here's the thing. When we reorient our lives around Jesus and we realize it's all about him, what we actually find is that that brings true peace. That peace that we searched for so desperately only comes through relational peace with God. That's wholeness. Now the well of God's glory flows through Jesus into us. We experience the blessings of salvation. And so this morning, I want you to think about this. Are those salvation blessings flowing to you? Are you connected to that well? God is still glorious, but do you have access to that? Are you connected by Christ? And have you trusted in Jesus Christ to be not just your Savior, your Lord, your everything? Is your past dealt with? Are you forgiven? Are you going to stand before that judge one day and you don't know what he's going to say? He might say, guilty. He might say, depart from me, I never knew you. If you're not sure, I want you to not leave today without coming and talking to one of us. There'll be prayer, a prayer team up here. 
You can come and pray with us. Ask us, say, I, I, I want to make sure that I'm right with God. I want to make sure that I have peace with God. Are you presently enjoying God's grace? Are you walking with him? Are you talking with him? And is your future guaranteed? Do you know that one day when you stand before that judge, he's not just going to say you're forgiven, but he's going to wrap his arms around you and say, come here, my child. I love you. The only thing that makes a difference here, you know, is if the judge is your friend, if you know him. And that makes all the difference in the world. What I'm trying to say is it's all about him. It's all about Jesus Christ.